Brother, do you know 17 Ks from Crossing Broad? Uh, I do not know him, no. Yeah, he's a person. Well, I know who he is. 17 Ks. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> anyway. Welcome back, everybody. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. It's been a while. A matter of months, per- perhaps. God, I can't even remember the last time I recorded or who was with me. Um, oh, no, I think it was after the mess. might have been the messy thing. We did the radio show call-in kind of, uh, you know, kind of kind of modeled show or whatever. So, yeah, sorry. It, sorry it took me so long to get another show going up here. Um, but, you know, we're at the end of another season. So it's time to uh, dissect a, another disappointing exit for the Philadelphia Union. Actually, the third time we've done it this year. Uh, but I can think of no one better to help me do, d- deliver the postmortem than longtime uh, contributor to the show, Matt DeGeorge from the Delco Times. How are you, my man? When, when you think disappointment, you think DeGeorge. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, I'm you- good. I... I, I measure I measure time in the number of MLS competitions it's been since the last podcast. Uh, so I think that's uh, one and a half. So I, uh, well, you know, you came on after um, MLS Cup last year, and uh, we, we we you and I delivered a very thoughtful and measured and pragmatic, at least I thought, um, you know, breakdown of what we saw in that game and what happened. So I, I you're you're kind of the unofficial post-mortem de- deliverer, deliverer, delivery, delivery man. <laughs> I, I, am, I, am the un- <laughs> I am the union season coroner. That actually, if that's not someone's Twitter account already, then then someone can take that for free. Delco coroner. Well, yeah, the, the, the coroner at, has at, been... At union coroner. At union coroner. The, uh, the figurative uh, <clears throat> union coroner has been busy this year because uh, they've they exited three separate competitions in the, well, not, not technically semifinals, the Champions League semifinals, the League's Cup semifinal, and then the Eastern Conference semifinals. So technically, I mean, if you wanted to weave that narrative, the semifinal union, you could do that. Look, we'll get into the offside, <clears throat> non-offside, whatever the hell thing. Um, I, it, you know, the game itself... One nothing Cincinnati. Look, man, going into it, I had no idea what the hell to think. I couldn't get a read on the game one way or another because it had been like four years since the teams had played. A bunch of guys <laughs> were missing for both sides. The only thing that I was confident in is that it was going to be like a low-scoring, scrappy, kind of just like claw your way playoff game. So I smashed the under. Like I've never smashed anything before. Made my 25 bucks off of that or whatever. And then at the end of it, I was just like, I'm not, I'm not like totally sure that since he was the better team for, for all 90, whatever minutes before the goal at the end, you know, I just, uh, you know, I don't think the bullet points of the game are worth going through individually. So I'm going to kind of read them off here and you kind of pick it up where you want to go. And, and you tell me what's most interesting. So you had mm-hmm. the, you had the Mikel Ua miss on the Jack McGlynn service that went to the box, landed right on his foot. Union had 16 shots. They actually had a higher XG, but they only put four shots on goal. Um, and Baizo had some adventures in the box, like he always does. Whiffed on the one. Andre Blake came up with the save. He had another clearance with his chest. Um, you know, there's the Blake save on uh, Bupenza, the Nathan Harriel shot that ended up coming in chest high, and of course the set piece at the end. Besides the set piece, what, like, what do you? Was there any like big like sticking point from that game for you? Honestly, after after all the post whistle, uh, you know, arguments on Twitter, and then I had to actually sit down and write a game story. The only two moments that really stuck in my mind were uh, the Bupenza shot and the Harriel header. And other than that, I don't really remember a, a clear cut chance for any uh, any either team. There really wasn't that much in it. Which you know, that's what these playoff games can generally be. They're not going to be free flowing. They're not going to be open unless somebody scores early, and then all of a sudden the game state changes. Um, and that hasn't been the ch- the case really in any of the uh, playoff games. Um, any of the the games in this round, really, with the exception of, I guess, the Columbus game a little bit because of the way Orlando had to chase. But, you know, there's enough about it. Uh, there's enough of an argument to say that the union played well enough to get to extra time. But then, then you have to wonder, someone's got to score a goal, right, at some point in order for this not to go to penalty kicks. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that, that – the union earned maybe an extra 30 minutes, but to do what with, because I don't think either team necessarily did a ton with it. You were just kind of hoping for one set piece where uh, you were going to have something weird happen. And 
Cincinnati gets one set piece. Something weird happens. Everybody forgets about, uh, I guess that's Barrial that plays the ball in. Yeah. Everybody completely forgets about him. And that, uh, if you watch the play, that completely distorts the back line. Jesus and actually Damian Lowe is the one that takes the responsibility to run towards Barrial. How he was going to, how he was going to cover 30 yards, I'm not quite sure. Um, but that's who Murphy's man was. And that's how it kind of leads to that chaos and it leads to the conversation we're having now. So yeah, I, I think in some ways that game is a kind of a perfect uh, encapsulation of the union season in the sense that it was kind of neither here nor there. It was pretty good, you know, pretty good. You can stay with one of the best teams in MLS, the best team in MLS this year, but you end up with nothing to show for it. And that's kind of what this season has, has been. It's a lot of really good play and it's a lot of, uh, you know, objectively objective success that as Jim kind of mentioned in the post-match presser that 25 other MLS teams would want to have, but ultimately nothing to show for it. And uh, you know, not to go too big on it, but that's kind of what the last four or five years of Philadelphia union soccer have been. And I think where last year's off season was really straightforward in the sense of we have these competitions, we have these guys we have a chance to make this run this year's I think is a little bit more uh, philosophical and uh, philosophy and soccer don't always match all that well. Um, You know, it was interesting to me because outside of the, or you had the first 35 minutes where since he was kind of all over him and the union couldn't get the ball out of their half, but um, you know, they stabilized, they came back, they carved out of half chance or two, nothing crazy, but then it was pretty even in the second half, you know, for most of it. So I, I think when people were coming back and saying, oh, the union just weren't good enough, you know, that performance wasn't good enough or whatever. Okay. But I also don't think that since he was lighting the world on fire, you know, I mean, and when that, and, and so when people were talking, and this is in regards to the offside or people saying like, you know, this is what that pisses me off so much. People do this. I, I deal with this at Crossing Broad every day. It's like, don't talk about a ref call, you know, because they, they weren't good enough in other areas. Well, no shit, right? I mean, but two things can be true, right? There can be a questionable call, and also then you talk about the performances of the team. It's not like since he was, was you know, it's not like they were just, like, killing the union in this game. You know, they got it to right. nil-nil in, in, stoppage, in stoppage time. You know, um, and that was what was weird because since he had their front three against the depleted union back line, and so that's what I think I was most surprised about. I was like, I, you know, yeah, the union weren't that great going forward, but the defense held up, you know? And, um, yeah, so and, the, and, why, and that's, why, that's why I can't buy too much into the, like, you're making excuses thing. And I'm like, well, they, I mean, it was pretty, it was close for, for most of the 96, you know? Yeah, and in that situation, the onus is on the home team to kind of do the attacking a little bit. So if you're the union and especially a Jim Curtin team to say, Hey, we're going to keep a clean sheet for 90 plus however many minutes and get to extra time. Jim would be like, okay, let's, let's do that and see what happens. Let's (laughs) take our chances. Cause that's better than what the, the probability would be otherwise, which is that you're down a goal or two. And granted, all of this comes with the caveat that, uh, you know, Cincinnati's missing essentially four regulars. Without Arias, if they had their way, they would have both Miazga and Haglin starting, so Murphy wouldn't even be a starter. Yeah. And they're also missing Nuobodo, uh, who I think was, you know, as big of an impact on that game, his yeah. absence as anybody. But at the same time, you look at the union are missing two regulars and all the, you know, all the work on their legs and all that other kind of stuff. So um I, I think the union can still be disappointed a little bit in the performance, like you said, but also that, that doesn't make, that doesn't make the goal on side. It just doesn't. Yeah. So, Thank you. Um, and it's, 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 it's a lousy way to lose one way or the other, especially cause you feel like you've earned your place there. Now, Cincinnati will have, will think that they have earned their place there too, keeping the zero, uh, for ninety plus minutes with Ray Gaddis and Alvis Powell on the on the field, but yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think that uh, it's it's still a very difficult way to lose. And you know, you go to extra time, you get a few more set pieces, you never know what can happen. They uh, so I, I finally got around to like watching the you know after we all did our initial complaints about the offside, not offside, and and whatever for the first three days, I finally got around to to watching the set piece defending 
on the goal or the lack thereof really. And, you know, it was kind of weird because they, um, I'm going to try to like read this off of uh, the Twitter thread that I posted. I, I know this is uh, not a visual medium, but uh, I would do my best to kind of illustrate it if you're like in your car or whatever. So when you go back to it, Lucho Acosta is on the ball. They've got a line of guys on the 18. It's an 8v5. The Union have eight players there since he has five. So they got plenty, right? Damian Lowe, I watched it again. Damian Lowe is trying to walk the offside line up. Olivier Mbizo is kind of like shuffling, like repositioning, kind of coming across the line. Um, so then the square pass goes over to Barrial. Um, bueno, I guess it is, leaves the line to close down Barrial, try to get closer to him. Takes a couple dribbles before the ball comes in. And Baizo is kind of sliding along with Murphy, sort of lets him go. There's no pass off. And then Carranza is just standing there in la-la land, not taking anybody, just kind of ball watching. And Bedoya is actually on Mascara, the goal scorer, before he kind of steps off of him leaves him and goes to Vasquez and then nobody's there. So it's almost like it, watching it back. It's almost like those three dribbles that uh, Barry was able to take kind of just threw the whole thing out of whack, but it looked like they were just in this big zonal line. And Abizo looked mm-hmm. like he was the only, Abizo looked like he was the only guy who was kind of like sticking with anybody in particular. Like Elliot wasn't man marking and Bedoya wasn't man marking or whatever. It seemed like they just made this line and it's like, okay, just kind of stay with whoever's right here. And then when, you know, when the, when the time transpired, the Barrial was able to kind of like push the ball up. Uh, everything just kind of fell out of whack and like the rules went to shit. And it was just like people trying to grab bodies at that point. It looked like half of them were trying to hold a line. A couple were a foot behind them. So, I mean, you know, again, to, to go back to the idea of more than one thing can be true. Was the goal um, offside? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But uh, was the set piece defending shit? Yes, yes, it was. And in much the same way of last year's Gareth Bale goal, you know, you can look back and say, is there a bunch of things that the union probably could have done better on that play to make sure that Bale doesn't get that goal? Yes, absolutely. But is there also a million things that can go one way or the other throughout that game so much so that it, you know, you almost, it almost becomes a ridiculous exercise? Yes. So it's, it's, uh, it's a really, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing. And I think the thing that probably hurts the most for union fans is the notion that there is, uh, you know, your season ends with this, eh, maybe it's offside, maybe it wasn't. And that, that lack of definitiveness is absolutely <laughs> maddening. So you understood um, what I was saying in those like Twitter rants and like the video that I put up there. Cause inevitably you have some people who come up to you and say like, well, you're, you're like, you know, like a butt hurt or something. I'm like, I don't, I don't care if it was offside or not. I just want like some kind of definitive. Exactly. And I, not yeah. only that, I want something that, and this is, so this is as much as pro gets crap for it. This is largely, I think a soccer problem even more so than MLS. And I think what you have in that end of um, what you have in that end of broadcast situation is you have the collision of pro not being great at what it does sometimes and Apple not being great at what it does sometimes. So it might be a little bit of unreliability of, um, you know, which replays they're getting. I mean, far be it for me to criticize an Apple team that is, that, that has missed multiple goals this season because they've been busy replaying a, a slow motion glamour shot of, of, you know, Lionel Messi looking up at the stars or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of the collision of that. And, you know, I would love to see, and I don't know that this is going to happen in soccer anytime soon, but there are certain sports that get instant replay, right? And I'm not even saying instituting a Hawkeye system like tennis, because I think that would be, uh, untenable because of how many decisions and different dimensions of decisions there are in soccer. Yeah. But if you look at reviews in uh, certain rugby leagues where you're having, you're broadcasting the conversation between the referee and the video official, if you look at the way that cricket does it, where they're going through everything that they're looking at, they're going through everything live speed and they're, they're sharing with the viewers the conversation as to how a decision's being made. I think that would be extremely helpful. Um, instead of a, no, 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 just trust us. We have a better view. Trust us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's um, what it is. It's trans, it's transparency. That's all you're looking for. Yes. That's all and I'm that's the accountability for. part. I know Jim Curtin talked afterwards about, um, you know, the accountability piece of he's the coach. He's the one that's going to have to talk to the media and risk getting fined. And the referees aren't going to have to talk to the media except for through the pool process, which is. The the pool reporting process is a sham. It's nonsense. You you write a question down 
on a piece of paper, give it to the referees. The referees tell you what already happened in the game, and that's it's it's nonsense. Um, yeah, and I don't think referees. It was it was onside because it was judged to be onside. It was onside because we saw that he was not offside. Got it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Um, and I don't think that referees necessarily should. Ask, answer questions from the media all the time. Like, I don't think we should bring Angel Hernandez. Well, maybe Angel Hernandez is a bad example. Um, <laughs> I do have some questions for Angel Hernandez. Most of them are just why and how. But like, I, if if you had to have that accountability with professional sports umpires or officials, you would have a, a lot less of them. And there's already a shortage of them. And it's a very difficult job. But the accountability and the transparency part of it is actually understanding how decisions are made. And, uh, you know, to be clear, there's no conspiracy against the Philadelphia Union. I don't believe that there is. I, I, you're not, you're I, not buying into the idea that uh, MLS wanted the hell is real. Uh, dark no, no, I don't. I, I, yeah, I don't think MLS wanted to to wanted to look towards its marketing department, which may or may not just be Noah Beck, and say, "All right, guys, we're going to be in Ohio the next two weeks. Let's get excited." Like no one's no one's excited about that. I don't know if you've ever been to Columbus. No one's excited. You don't so, think there's an executive sitting there saying, have the plan for Ohio, the marketing plan no. for Ohio on my desk by yes. 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. We're, we're, we, need to rent, we need to rent out the Skyline Chili Ballroom. No one, no, no one's excited about that. There's no, so there's no conspiracy against the union. But I'm angry at MLS for not having the transparency so that you can actually see clearly that there's no conspiracy against the union yeah. because when you have that vacuum then you know sinister uh, implications kind of are able to fill that vacuum in the absence of facts exactly See, you and i have been on the same page on this kind of stuff for however long i've known you 10 years or more now at this point but it's just yeah i mean you, if, if you don't want the vacuum to be filled with uh you know, conspiracy theory and half truths and stuff like that, then uh, don't let the vacuum happen in the first place, you know? And, and I don't look, I'm not, I'm not so naive to think that like MLS is the NFL. It's not, you know, I mean, where we, we would get, even if there was a controversial call, at least we would be able to see some kind of definitive angle where we could see if the ball hit the ground or Zach Ertz is Zach Ertz had possession of the catcher, whatever the hell that was in the Super Bowl. I can't even remember at this point. But you know, regardless of whether you agree with the call or not, you have all the evidence that you need to to see to come to to come to your own conclusion. You know what I'm saying? And I don't think that I don't know if going to like the the Premier League line drawing where you get out the digital protractor and it looks like like math class. I, you know, I don't know if that's any better because they've had issues with that too. But I'm sitting here thinking like. You want to take the next step? You want to be a major league? You want to be a player on the world stage? You want to keep growing this league? You got to have a little bit something better than that. You got to have another camera angle, something else you can show us, uh, you know, something else that, that gives you something demonstrable, right? Or else you're just going to have people saying that you're like Bush League, you know, and to your point, man, you're going to have like, like people like Phil from Crossing Broad, you know, saying like, oh, the fix, the fix is it, you know, that, that the league hates the union. And the only people who can make that shit go away is the league and the, and the refs, you know, and you, it, you know, you have the technology, use it. You know, I mean, if, if you're going to say, I think the thing that bothered me was, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but they, they told Elfath that the the call was fine and that he didn't have to go over to the to the monitor and look at it. Yeah, I mean, some of it, I, I, I think that there is a difference in whether clear and obvious applies to offsides or not. Um, part of it is just the way that VAR is set up. And again, this is not an MLS problem. This is a laws of the game problem of, you know, is it the, the clear or obvious error kind of became a, a little bit of a cover to say, all right, we don't have to look at these things because it's not a clear and obvious error. Yeah. And so now the, the criteria has shifted from whether it's right or wrong to whether it's clear and obvious, um, which, you know, I would always make the argument that once you go to video review, you then have to video review. If you're going to re- video review something, you have to video review everything to make sure everything's right. And that doesn't always work in soccer because there's so much interpretation. No, but you um, know, you know what a good example is. I, I don't mean to interrupt. I think it's a good point though. Like, you know, in the NFL, like the challenge flag comes in, but now like in both NFL and college football, like there's stuff that just goes automatically to the booth. 
You know, it's like mm. these are such high leverage critical plays in the game that we're not even going to leave it up to the coaches or the people on the field. We're just going to auto booth review it just to make sure we get this right. You know, I'm not saying that mm. has to be done in so- you know, soccer is a game of flow and, you know, continuity and all that stuff. You don't want these big stoppages, but I would rather get make sure I get it right and use the tools that are at my disposal versus just right. saying like, hey, source, trust me, bro, who's on side. Well, OK, so now our season is over and that's all I have to go with. You know? But especially with especially with calls that are non-interpretation calls, calls that are clear, such as boundaries, goal line technology, whether a ball is out of play. And I think the offside line, even though the offside line is slightly open to interpretation, there's a gray, it's a fuzzy line. It's not a straight, you know, it's not as straight as the goal line. I think in those instances, there should be some kind of, at least here is the rationale. And so I think the drawing of the lines in, uh, in England is at least better. Um, you know, we're all taking it on faith, whether or not those lines are drawn faithfully or whether or not some guy's just coloring it in and being like, yeah, he's offside. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> but it, at, at least make the show, right? At least at least make the little bit of a show or at least have a reverse yeah. angle yeah. that kind of shows something. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, all, all of that. The union could have fixed all that by playing a little bit better, but instead, this is here we you know, are. This is what we're left to talk about. And to be honest, I think talking about whether or not Murphy was offside is preferable to some of the other things that the union have to talk about this off season because I think there's some serious, <sighs> serious quandaries that they face now. You know, and not just in not just in who stays or goes. It's a good segue because um, you know I threw out questions, comments, concerns to, to listeners, you know, before doing this, before you and I logged on here and it, it like, you know, 99% of the questions here are like, you know, is this, is this window closed or is this the end of an era or, you know, have they hit the, the ceiling here? I mean, stuff that you like hear from MR, uh, is this championship window closed? Um, you know, and then there's Bedoya comments and Wagner comments and kind of like, you know, have, have they reached the, you know, the, the pinnacle here, you know, and then some residual um, curtain and Tanner Bedoya comment kind of stuff. But I don't know. You, you tell me, like, is this the end of an era? I felt like they hit the ceiling <clears throat> when the league's cup in the champion with the league's cup in the champions league exits, you know, which is why this, this part of the reason I didn't do a lot of shows this year is because I was just kind of burned out on this team a little bit. I'm like, mm-hmm. I think that they're a semifinal team and then they smash their head on the ceiling. And that's it. I don't, yeah, and, I, don't, I don't know why I don't, I can't see anything right now that make me think that they're getting over the hump, you know? Yeah. And that, so, yeah, it's in some ways this year's team was just a less exciting version of last year's team. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think this championship window is necessarily closed. However, if you look at, if we look at the four teams that are in the Eastern, that are in the conference finals right now, I will point out that none of those teams finished higher than 17th in the table two years ago. The Union, meanwhile, have won playoff games in three straight seasons. I I would have to – I've been meaning to go back and do this research, but I'd be willing to bet that since 2010, the only teams to do that are probably the Union and Seattle and maybe a Galaxy team at the front end. Maybe, but that's about it. So what they're doing is completely – is so unprecedented and it's so interesting to consider because the union seem to be exempt from this boom and bust cycle, but they've done it in a way that hasn't led to a championship. So if you look at all the teams that have won MLS cup champions in recent years, like look at Atlanta, they were in the wilderness for two years afterwards. LAFC falls out, doesn't make the playoffs two years ago. Seattle, uh, wins a couple of championships, wins Champions League, doesn't make the playoffs last year. Yeah. New York City FC, two years removed from a championship, is not in the playoffs this year. Portland wins the championship in 2021, does not make the playoffs this year, has to change eras. Columbus is constantly up and down. Cincinnati came from absolutely garbage to where they are now. Orlando City is on a ride. So like all these teams that have, for whatever reason, the union have decided – as a club to kind of stay steady. And that's certainly a level of achievement, right? To be in the top five or six in the supporter shield standings for now the last four years is a big accomplishment, but it hasn't led to trophies except for the one. 
And so you can kind of look at that and be like, I, I think philosophically now you're, you're kind of thinking, all right, do we throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, all right, we got to blow this up and start over and try and go higher? I mean, there's there's no blowing up in MLS because there's no draft to tank for of of you yeah. know for any yeah. for any purposeful reason. Um, but it, it's just an interesting difference between the consistency that they have and the the kind of chaotic nature for everyone else. And I, the one thing that I wonder, especially as we go into the off season, and I've been one, thinking about how to frame this whenever the, the postseason presser comes, uh, comes about is how, how do the, have the union now kind of bought the right to stop saying, Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna try for everything. You know, that was an admirable thing when I think Jim used to say it in 2018 and 2019. And I wonder now if they've outgrown that to a certain point of being like, okay, we're, we're, we're not going to give two, two whatevers about the league's cup next year. Yeah, we're going to, yeah. we're going to play Brandon Craig and Anton Sorensen and we don't care. <laughs> and we're going to tell Jacob Glesnes he can uh, be on his fishing boat in Norway for two weeks. But that goes to like, your point volatility doesn't it i mean like if you asked anybody who listens to this show would you trade you know if they won the champions league i personally would not give a fuck if they finished dead last at mls i'd be like yeah give me the give me that champions league trophy you know what i'm saying so like to expand that thought then to to the team itself what you're basically describing is the team that has a very high floor um Mm -hmm. But and a ceiling that's closer to the floor. It's a high, it's a high ceiling as well, but the ceiling is not where everybody wants wants it to be. So the right. philosophical question: If I'm Nietzsche and you're Emmanuel Kant, and we're asking the listeners of the show to say, "What did you What did you call me?" Not that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Emmanuel Kant, K A N T, for for people who uh, for the non philosophers out there. If I if I gave you a choice of, you know, ceiling and floor being close together consistent success but you never win that trophy versus the volatility of you might be shit one year but then maybe the next year you're mls cup contender wouldn't people choose the the volatility because they want to win trophies you know what i mean like i i guess what i'm saying is i just don't want them to be the sixers right and i i i also think that um it's not always uh i i think jim Curtin, as a coach because of what he's seen is not necessarily going to make that choice because to make that choice implies a level of hubris that their salary budget does not uh does not back up but i think the question then can be within the season of how do you prioritize what's important to you in a season and i don't think jim Curtin has ever been the kind of guy to think Okay, we're gonna we're gonna punt on July, and then we're gonna rattle off twenty eight points in twelve games at the end of the season, and yeah. and run into the season. But they have done that in the past, and it's you know it's very fair to ask the question of you know this year if Jacob Glesnes plays half as many games as he does in uh, League's Cup because you decided to keep Brandon Craig, then all of a sudden maybe the workload doesn't spike. You know, you you save him two games in League's Cup and another game after MLS. Maybe the workload doesn't spike to where he needs that surgery. And maybe it's him defending Ian Murphy in the 90th minute instead of Damian Lowe. And maybe we're not having a lot of these conversations. So it is a very it's a very real kind of conversation to have about what you're prioritizing. And I, I would have no problem with the union saying, hey, you know, next year. We don't care about League's Cup. We're going to have to – we're going to go and we're going to try to succeed in Champions League and we're going to try not to be in a bad spot in um, in the the end of that. Uh, but they also – I mean they also have to manage Copa America next year where they're going to be without two key players and a guy at Euros and probably at least two if not three guys at the Olympics. So, you know – you're going to you're going to have to decide what to prioritize in all of this. So, um I think that's a little bit the philosophical question more than anything is what is the definition of success? I think they're in danger they're in danger of being the Atlanta of MLS in the sense that they have had some great teams and they've had some fun teams, yeah. but they haven't won anything. And I know Jim Curtin's going to go up and and say, you know, this is a team that for the last five years has the highest points per game in MLS, and that's a great achievement, and that's fine. 
But my counter to that would be, okay, you're going to hang that on a banner? Because you're not. You're just not. You're well, not going to – that's that's not a that's not having won something. It's having accomplished something important, but it's having accomplished something important that's supposed to be the stepping stone to the thing that you're going to hold the parade for. The horse that I've beaten to death on this program for however many years now is the idea of the union being the 2008 to 2013 Phillies, where you win the trophy on the front end, you enjoy the couple years after it like you've never enjoyed anything before, but that now the second trophy doesn't materialize. And now I think we've reached the point in my uh, my analogy here or metaphor. I don't know which one, whatever one it is, where uh, corollary. We've reached the point in my corollary where uh, Ali Bedoya is like Ryan Howard, perhaps, you know. And and to me, it's very fascinating to see the Bedoya, Curtin, Ernst Tanner kind of triangle here because this is going to be a defining, you know, kind of kind of it's going to be a thing that defines the rest of their strategy. I think coming out of this, right. Do you cut ties with these veteran guys and get younger and bring reinforcements in here and, and make a push for like a new era here? Or do you like try to ex- extend this run for another year that may or may or may not be there? You know, um, that's me kind of just asking the question, not answering the question and kind of dodging it in a way. But I mean, we've got more comments on this show about like Bedoya, people thinking that Bedoya doesn't have it left. His legs just aren't there. You know, people two years ago saying that he shouldn't have been playing 90 every game. He did okay. He did fine, I think, in the playoff game. But yeah, I mean, even if, if you bring him back, what are you getting out of him? You know, so I mean, that's that to me is going to be the pivot of, of what once they make a decision on that, that'll tell me everything I need to know about what what to expect for the next year, year plus, you know. Yeah, but I also think with Bedoya, the 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 bright side about it is that it's not the same as the conversation they're having in Seattle around Nico Ladero, just because he's not a DP and he's not an international, so True. he's not as much of a he's not as much of an impediment to roster building, one way or the other. Personally, I I, I think part of the I think part of having a model that like the union have is knowing when the model serves you and when you have to make adjustments to the model. And mm-hmm. so the model says you don't keep a guy in his mid thirties, but I think Bedoya is, if, if there's going to be an exception to the model, it would be Bedoya. And I think especially because the number of games that you're going to play next year, you are going to have to bring in midfielders one way or the other. So I don't know why you wouldn't try and keep him around, even if it's as long as he is willing to accept a somewhat limited role. I mean, he was already limited this year just by injuries, and you you see uh, the way you see the way the schedule is going to shape up. Um, I would hope if something has been eye opening this year, it's the fact that you know Jim Curtin doesn't like to change his his starting eleven this all that much. And this year, the schedule said, basically, it was like, Haha, you don't want to change your 11? Well, I'm going to make you play 43 different starting 11s in 51 games. So whether you want to or not, you're going to have to change starting 11s a whole hell of a lot. And yeah. that's going to be the case next year. He's going to have to do that. And it's not like you have – it's not like Bedoya's blocking somebody, right? It's not like – it's not like you're – I don't think you're going to say, oh, man, he's going to – really impede Jose Jesus Bueno's developmental arc. I don't think that's the case. And especially next year, especially knowing that you're going to miss, uh, I'm assuming Venezuela's in Copa America. So you're going to miss two midfielders for a month. You're going to miss Jack McGlynn for the Olympics. You're going to miss Daniel Gazdag for like, I don't know why you wouldn't bring back Bedoya. Um, yeah. yeah. And well, and Wagner, Wagner's gone. I mean, and Baizo, our members wanted out or maybe he still wants out or maybe he does. So, I mean, you may lose two. I mean, there's going to be a huge, there's going to have to be a huge, there's going to have to be a lot of stuff happening regardless of whether well, it comes back or not. Yeah. So I don't think there's going to be as much happening as you think. I, there's only three guys that are out of contract. There's Bedoya, there's Kai, and there's Joe Bendik, who I think they're going to move on from Joe Bendik. I think they are uh, in need of finding a real serious backup goalie because the backup goalie is going to have to play about 10 games next year because of yeah. Copa America and, be, and and because of all that. But other than that, you have an, I, I'm almost positive you have an, that there's an option on Baizo. 
I'm almost positive that there is an option on Damian Lowe. Uh, they're kind of stuck with Andres Perea for the next two years because they signed him to a guaranteed contract at the end of 25. So he's still here. Um, the that only other con- – Yeah, that was a, a weird little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, Joaquin Torres has an option year. I believe it's his last option year next year. Julian Carranza's in his last option year, and so is Leon Flock. So those are the only ones that are a little bit complicated, but – I mean, a lot of these guys are signed through 2025, so it's not necessarily blow it up right away kind of thing. Um, and I think some of their options now vest. Some of them, uh, there's more contract language in which they can automatically vest. So it, it's possible that some of them are, uh, not for this year, but for down the road, can automatically vest just based on performance, uh, how, how often they play and stuff like that. So I don't think you're going to see a huge amount of blow it up just because – if you blow it up, that means Jay Sugarman's got to pay money to bring in new people. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's that's not the thing that they do a lot of. So, you know, they're going to have to bring in a left back. Mariel's still under contract next year, so he'll still be here and not playing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to bring in a left back. I don't think you have to bring in any center backs because you have five on the roster, and you're going to have to figure out a way to play some of them. Um, I think you're going to try and bring in another midfielder, and I don't think – Ty Baribo is the heir apparent to Julian Carranza, so I think you're still going to bring in a, a forward. So I, I don't see, I don't see, I don't see a lot of uh, upheaval, just because I don't think there's a way to turn these players into usable assets. It, it's one thing that's the yeah. only place where yeah. your 2008 uh, Phillies analogy kind of falls is that you can't turn. You know, if you wanted to turn uh, Alejandro Bedoya into Alec Asher, you can't do that. <laughs> it's a deep, it's a pretty deep pull. Try to try to forget about some of those names. Um, all right, last one for you. And, and real quick too, I, I don't look. I didn't do any shows in the time period that Kai and the racist language thing was going on. I don't really think there's anything that I can say that really of any meaning uh, towards that. I mean, you know, they investigated it, they litigated it. Um, apparently in, in the statement, they said that he was cooperative with them. Uh, I don't speak German. I don't know what the word was. Uh, I know that there are, you know, listeners to this show and union fans who would say that there's a zero tolerance policy for, for stuff like that. I get that. I respect that. I don't, I don't feel like I, I know enough about like what actually happened. Or I don't think it will, we ever, ever will know enough to the point where we can definitively say whether this guy's a piece of shit or whether he's not a piece of shit. Um, you know, if there was, it, it looked like there was a level of responsibility um, and accountability for that, um, which may or may not have been hurt by him then coming out and making the statement on Instagram or whatever that his family was insulted or whatever that was all about. Um, but I did want to bring it up because I didn't want people to think that I was ignoring, ignoring it. I just don't really have anything educated to say, but I think everybody's probably got to, come to their own conclusion about how they're, how they're going to view him and his legacy on this team. Um, you know, I think it's a really unfortunate situation. If he, sh- if he took some responsibility for it, I think that helps, but I don't know. There's just incomplete information on there. I would offer you the opportunity to comment on that if you, if you would like to. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's a mistake that Kai made. I, I, I think that Kai has done a lot of good things in the community in the time that he's been here. Um, and, unfortunately this casts this doesn't erase all of those things but it does certainly cast a pall over them um and it saddens me that that's something that happened i think three games even for admitting fault is uh laughably light of a suspension jeff carlisle wrote a story this week for espn about how there have been multiple issues of racist uh uh racist abuse between players in MLS in recent years. And it's just a good reminder that for people that want that out of the game, that this happens here too. This isn't something that happens in Spain, that happens in England, that happens in Italy. This is happening here too. Um, And it's, it's complicated and it needs to be eliminated from the game. That being said, from a um, personnel perspective, I think it gives the union a pretty good out to be like, Hey, uh, we thank you for your service, and we're going to move on. Um, they'll make, that is they'll true. Make Kai, yeah. They'll make Kai a bona fide. It certainly deadens. Uh, I'm actually extremely, extremely proud of the union fan base um, because I know sometimes you get, you know, people can get blinded by fanhood, and 
make excuses for people doing bad things. I, I think the union fan base has been uniformly against Kai and has really been hurt by Kai's actions in the sense that they feel like they stood up for him in contract talks and that this was in yeah. some ways a betrayal of the fans. Yeah, that's um, good. And I'm, I'm really proud of the union fan base for taking that stance and really standing behind its values in that way. Um, I believe the union will make a bona fide offer to Kai. Uh, it's possible that the offers they've already made to him can stand as a bona fide offer. Um, but that, that, that will allow them to retain his rights. I think he's going to go try and play in the two Bundesliga or somewhere overseas. And yeah. and I think he's capable of playing there. And I, I think it should be a thank you for your service. And, um, you know, if you ever want to come back to the United States, please consider us before anyone else. That would be, yeah. I think, enough. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it's strange. It's a yeah, and a, you know, again, it's a bummer for a for a guy who had an amazing season and will probably go down as the best defender, well, best outside back, you know, to ever play for the team. So yeah, it's shitty that he ends up being a, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know, Kurt Schilling or something. I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate at this point, but I don't you know, know that I would go that. Hard. I don't know that There's I would go that far. I mean, There's a lot that needs to have that would need to happen before that. I think you know. Yeah, one's. I mean, one's German and one aspires way too hard to be German in a certain era. So, um, I, I think I, I don't think I don't think uh, Kai's dealings with the media were quite as notorious as Kurt Schilling's were. No, um, no, and I don't think we're going to have uh, you know Hall of Hall of Fame uh, lingering Hall of Fame issues and uh, you know that that going on maybe that was just me pulling something off the top of my head but uh um anyway um last one for you um this season will go down as a success a failure or none of the above i think it's i think it's neither nor it's not bad enough to be a failure it's not good enough to be a success it's just so many so many almosts that uh that never kind of came to be and there's moments of you know, the difference being that I think last year there was at least those kinds of moments of triumph in the sense of, you know, the seven nothings and some of the games that they went and won. This year was not so much uh, in that regard. And I think the the losses come with the losses in the key moments come with such a bad taste in your mouth. You know, going too conservative against LAFC in that first leg. And then you get a draw, but it's a draw that feels like a loss. And being completely un, just being undone by Lionel Messi in in that game, and then the controversy of this game. There's, it's a, it's a, it's about as forgettable of a fourth place finish as you could possibly imagine. And again, perspective is important. If you told, if you told an, a, a Union fan in 2015 that, hey. Someday in the future, you guys are going to finish fourth in the Eastern Conference and you are going to hate every minute of it. They would have signed for that back then. <laughs> but part of but part of maturing as a club is that you have to kind of move away from that that kind of mentality and understand, hey, maybe maybe this isn't good enough anymore. And maybe uh, maybe the standard has to raise and the decisions have to change with that. Uh, along with that, that means that maybe the spending has to change a little bit. Maybe some of that Apple money needs to get splashed around some different places because it does exist. Um, but maybe it needs to go into the first team in a in a more uh, concerted way. Well, speaking of perspectives, yours is always a, a pragmatic one and a measured one and a fair one. So I appreciate you coming on the show and giving it again. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt George from the Delco Times at Sports Doctor MD. If you're not following him by now, then you're probably not a Union fan. But uh, you're the designated um, corner slash post mortem guy. So uh, if we uh, if we continue moving, this next time I ever record, whenever the hell I record again, we will um, we will pencil you in for the for the next semifinal loss. As as the Union coroner, someone's got to die first. So we'll see. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you as always. So full transparency here, I have been juggling the idea, going back and forth really, um, between the thought of shutting down the podcast entirely and retiring the program versus just kind of putting it on, uh, you know, like a hiatus, like a like a break or something like that, you know, indefinite leave, if you will. Um, Kind of, kind of leaning towards the latter, to be honest. Um, you know, just kind of, you know, putting the putting the show on ice for a little bit. Um, 
reason being, I, I just can't find time to to do it. It's been, uh, you know, it's been just just hell trying to trying to, um, you know, ca- carve out um carve out the time to just get in front of the microphone and to and to book guests and get um you know to get people lined up and all that stuff. And uh, you know, I, th- I think this is probably the most. You know, I had two gaps. I want to say of like a month or two or three between. Um, episodes this year um in what amounted to just a long and like janky slog of a union season you know so it was just it was just <laughs> it was just hard you know and um yeah i got two little kids i got a two-year-old i've got a four-year-old my wife's a full has a full-time job i got my full-time stuff with crossing broad you know which is which is similar to what we're doing with always soccer you know because i'm doing sports all day long I do crossing broadcast and i'm talking on a microphone i'm writing all day long so it's hard to like you, know, you only have finite amount of um of uh juice for that kind of stuff you know imagine being like a like like doing sports for eight hours nine hours every day and then like you put your kids down and it's like oh let me go do more more sports <laughs> you know like as much as i love the union and have enjoyed doing this show over the years it's like oh god i just did this shit for like like eight hours today i don't know if i have any more in me you know so that's just that's just really what it is you know bandwidth and, and look here's the thing i'll be honest with you too i'm, I'm not going to um you know, I'm only going to do this show if it's good, right? I'm not going to put my name on anything that's shit, right? Like, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to tweet out crap shows. I'm not going to do half-ass shows with, like, guests who don't know what they're talking about and just um, kind of, kind of, um, you know, go through the motions just for the sake of doing a show. If we're going to do a show, it's going to be good, you know? So I don't want to put an inferior product out there and put my name on it, you know? Um, so it's, and you know, it's interesting too, because, um, like I, I look at um like how many listeners we've had. We've had a like a core group of like a couple thousand people who listen to f- every episode, and it's awesome. You know, I love I love having that consistency of like you know seeing the same you know people asking questions and in DMs, you know, asking for a new episode or, or responding to stuff that we talk about. You know, so that's that's been great too to build that like kind of tight knit community. But honest to God, like I you know I'll go on um, you know Twitter. And I'll do, you know, like a, you know, breakdown video of, um, you know, like a goal or, or something that happened in the game. And that'll get like 10,000 views or 8,000 views or something like that. And then I can bounce it off of the Crossing Broad account too, if I want to, and just push it that way. You know, like for example, I got to go actually um, look at it to see how many numbers it did. But when I just, when I just, you know, got in front of the uh, camera and said, uh, you know, ranted for a minute and a half about the, uh, the offside call the other day retweeted that off the crossing broad account that got like 20,000 views or more or something like that. I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, I got this like direct audience right here where I can get more union content out to more people. Um, why don't I just do that? You know? Um, Cause I do think, I do think about that. I don't really care about too much about listenership or how much, how many, how many people are listening to the show. I'm not selling advertising on this or anything. It's more like a labor of love, you know, because it's the reason Dave and I started doing it in the first place in 2016 was because there just wasn't a ton of union podcasts and a ton of union content out, out there. So that was the Genesis for always soccer, you know, and I had been doing um KYW Philly soccer show with Greg Orlandini before that. And I'm like, you know, let me just replace that with something else, you know? So that was the Genesis of all that stuff. But I'm also sitting here thinking like I run crossing broad. Now I can put any union stuff I want up, up on there. It's going to get thousands of eyeballs, thousands of reads for whenever I do something there. I've got the social media accounts that I can reverberate all this video content or, or written or spoken content off. I'm like, do I, do I even need to do always soccer in 2023, you know, and like sit here for an hour and like do show prep and write down notes and stuff. And the answer, I guess is no, I don't really have to, to do that, you know? So, so like inevitably like thinking about all that for a couple months, yeah, I was sitting here like kind of trying to make a decision on it. And what I, what I want to do is um, like, look, if I ever left crossing broad and I wasn't doing all that shit for like eight hours a day of Eagles and Phillies and all that stuff, then I would immediately bring this back, of course, and, and make that like my sports focus. You know, if I was doing, if I went to like sell insurance or something like that, you know, this would be my like creative sports outlet or whatever. But um, if we do bring it back, what we're going to do is we're going to go all out with it. And we're going to give it like the the crossing broadcast treatment where it's video, it's on YouTube, it's on Twitter, it's on Facebook. We cut up the clips 
and we share them on social and we you know disperse them th throughout the community we get as many eyeballs on them as we can you know i make a renewed effort to get all these these different guests on the show i actually have a list of guests on this whiteboard that i'm looking at in my office right now of people that i wanted to get on the show but i never was able to do um you know and we would we would go start going down that list list again you know it would be like what we do with like crossing broadcasts and like like with you know they do with like rights to ricky sanchez like the high level shows where it's this is a full full production you know like and that that again that goes hand in hand with me saying i'm not going to do something and just half-ass it you know so i felt like there's probably like an evolutionary step for the show to take anyway i mean i've been doing it for seven years you know so if we're going to take that step then that'll come when when we bring it back if we bring it back you know but um yeah, more than anything though i just it, again it's like it's just time you know, like I mean, you, you guys with kids know what I'm talking about. It's like, holy shit, you get, get them down at eight o'clock or eight thirty or whatever. And it's like, man, I don't feel like doing a damn thing. You know, I'm going to like make myself a, a, a bowl of ice cream and like sit my fat ass on the couch, you know? Um, yeah. And look, I'm not going to lie too. I think like the union are probably like on a, on a probably, probably set for a downturn or a disappointment here. I don't know how much time and energy anybody really has for the team, you know, after the season that we had last year. So um, I think that factored into the decision uh, too, but yeah, I can, I can do union as part of my day job too. Now, you know, I can write whatever I want for the site. I can go down to, to PPL, PPL, Jesus, I can go down to uh, Subaru, you know, whenever I want. So there's always, I'm always going to do some kind of union content. I guess that's what I'm telling you. It's just that I don't really have a lot of juice for this and a lot of time for this at the particular moment. So um, if it does come back and I think it will at some point, um, just not for the foreseeable future, but inevitably, when the podcast probably comes back at some point, we're going to put all the bells and whistles on it and do it big and, you know, try to find a consistent co-host for sure. That's been the other thing, too, that's a pain in the ass is, you know, every time I do this, I got to, like, book somebody. I got to, like, call them or text them and be like, hey, are you available? Here, are you available there? I'm trying to I'm trying to work that into my schedule with, like, my kids and my wife and all this shit. I'm just sick of doing logistics. So, you know, if there was a regular co-host and it was me and, like, Dave again, you know, we had the same group on every single time. It would just be like, hey, Tuesday night, pick a time, nine thirty. We're gonna we're gonna do this and and whatever, you know. So I think that would certainly be that would certainly have to come come with it too, you know. If, if I bring this back, it'll be when we're excited again, when I have time again. We're gonna do it with YouTube. We're gonna put it on social. I'm gonna have a, a consistent co-host, and then we're gonna run through this this great group of guests that I have written down there. So that that's kind of where I'm at with it, and I. I feel like that's the feel like now's the time to kind of you know shut it down just temporarily and uh then i don't have to feel bad about not doing shows because every once in a while i'm like oh shit you know i haven't i haven't done this in a while i feel like i owe it to the <laughs> to the to the listeners to do another show you know so let's go the other way if i'm not going to do it consistently i'm not going to do it at all and um you know we'll bring it back at some point i'm sure i i don't think this is the end of the show but on the on the the off chance that it is i would just say that i appreciate everybody listening through through all the years and uh, all of the episodes are going to remain up. You know, there's some good stuff that's worth listening to. That's, that's a little bit older, you know, like the top 25 union moments of all time, for example, that's evergreen. That's never going to be dated. You know what I'm saying? So maybe I'll go back and do a list of those things that are worth, worth sharing. But, um, but yeah, until then, I think that's it. So I appreciate everybody for listening and we're going to shut it down for now. Um, but now is not necessarily the end. And uh, yeah, that's what I would say. So, all right, great. Have a good off season, everybody. We'll see you when we see you.